Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. So I'm gonna tell on myself really quickly because this happened during worship that, uh, you guys can be seated, that um, I, uh, I got really offended about something this morning and it was stealing my peace of mind. And I'm like, how am I going to get through this and be able to preach honestly at the 11 o'clock service? Because I was like, literally, I could not like truly worship. My mind was like stuck on this thing. And it was an issue between me and somebody that I'm a, who's a very close friend of mine but they did something that I'm like, oh my gosh, how could they possibly do that? We've been working on this project for three months and then they just did something that undermined the entire project. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is totally, and you'll get this a little bit later in the message, that I've seen it as a rule in my life that every time I get offended, every time that I get hurt, I can go one of two directions. I can either go towards offense which will destroy a relationship, or I can say this is an opportunity. Just like when you break a bone and the bone resets and you have scar tissue that develops on the bone, the bone is actually made stronger from the break. Every single time, every single time I get offended, I have an opportunity to actually make a relationship stronger. So I just reached out and sent a text and said, hey, I'm sorry for my initial reaction. I realized that we haven't actually been spending that much time together. And there's some things that I've just made assumptions about that I haven't actually connected with you on. Can we just carve out some time this week to get together and actually connect? Done. Guess what? It's no longer eating my eating up space in my mind. And so we go into the last worship song and I'm like, yes, awaken this city, awaken your people, God of revival. <laughs> and it's always a choice. It's so beautiful how God works. So, you know, I'm, I'm very much for like real time, like what is God actually doing? And if you've heard me preach, you know that there's a lot of times that God will be speaking something to me for months and then it'll get up to right before the time that I'm supposed to give this message and he just decides to pivot a little bit. And I've noticed that when I've allowed him to pivot some of the most powerful things that I have ever experienced, my time with him, uh, and things that have been done through messages that have been brought breakthrough to other people have come because I've been willing to let God move. And this message is one that's like that, that uh, this week I was just reading uh, the, the story of the rich young ruler in the Bible, and it's a story that I've read many times before but God showed it to me in a new light. So come with me, with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And uh, 
I usually teach from the New King James because it's my favorite, uh, but there's other versions that are in here, and we'll get to that in a little bit too. But uh, Mark 10, 17, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what should I do that I may inherit eternal life? But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the young man said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words and went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. What I saw this week is Jesus mentioned six out of the 10 commandments, but he didn't mention them like just random commandments. He mentioned the six that have to do with relationship with people. I don't know if you know this, but, but the Ten Commandments are split. The first four have to do with relationship with God and my relationship with myself. And the second relationship has to do with people and my relationship in community. The first four are vertical. The second four are horizontal. The rich young ruler had been practicing all of the horizontal, all of the outward commandments since his youth. But there was one thing that he lacked. And the one thing that he lacked is that he was so attached to his position and his possessions, all of the outward things that he shared with the world, that he was missing the thing that was the most important, the one thing which was relationship with God and his relationship with himself, that he had violated the first four commandments, which are ultimately for us, but they connect us to God. How many people know that God's law is not for God? God doesn't need his law. He gives it to us as a gift. That they're not rules just to follow for God's sake so he can feel good about himself of like, I made up some pretty good rules. Look at all these people that are following him. He gives them to us so that we can have the best possible life. And this guy had made a God out of his possessions and out of his position. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not make idols. He had made an idol out of his own ability, his own performance, his own stuff. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. God's name is I am. And when you get so caught up in position that you can put your I am to something that is of this world and not of God. It doesn't matter what position you attain in life. There is no position greater than being a child of God. It doesn't matter whether I'm the CEO of a company or have accomplished a ton of things or become super famous or have a bunch of stuff. All of that is less than being God's kid. And finally, keep the Sabbath holy. 
You know, the Sabbath was created for man. Man wasn't created for the Sabbath. God doesn't put that in there so he can be a slave driver to force us into rest. He gives us rest so that we can actually enjoy the fruit of our labor, spend time in relationship with him and spend time in community. But when you're so caught up in performance, you can never enter into that Sabbath of the heart. You can turn the Sabbath into performance. That church doesn't come become a place to soak, it becomes a place to perform. That's not God's heart. We can do like the rich young ruler, all of the things on the outside, but never get it on the inside. So there is a uh, performance was a, an idol and when you don't have rest for your soul and you're working in performance you can I, and I have definitely been there where I've resented the people and also resented God for feeling like I need to perform because when you're performing you're performing for a world and for a God that never quite seems pleased enough with the performance and it's always like, I just need to do one more thing or God, I'm so tired of doing all of this stuff to serve you. I feel so burnt out and you can get mad at God or if you turn it inward, it can be like, I just need to, oh, I didn't perform good enough. If I just did this better, if I just did this more, if it's just the next thing, the next time, the next win, the next, the next notch, I'm, I'm, I, I, I think then I'm gonna get it. But it, it'll either turn into resenting God and resenting people or self-hatred of feeling like you can't live up to your own expectations for yourself. And if you're caught into a hating God or hating people, that was never God's intention. I know there are probably some of you like me who are like, well, what about John 12, 25? Doesn't the Bible say that I'm supposed to hate my life? Let's read it. It says, whoever loves his life shall destroy it. And whoever hates his life in this world shall keep it for eternal life. God will work with me in words, and there have been words in the Bible while I've been reading the Bible that just tweak me a little bit in the spirit. And I'll read something and I'll be like, gosh, that doesn't seem like it's God's character. Or it's something that like, gosh, I thought that God is love. Why would he want me to hate? That doesn't make sense. So this week while I was reading that, preparing for this message, I looked up what the word hate actually means. And I looked up in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in. And the word in Greek is meseo, but they didn't speak Greek. They spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. And the word in Hebrew and Aramaic is sune. Sune can mean to make an enemy of or to decrease in status. So if you read it with that translation, it's if you love your life and have increased the status above your relationship with God, your identity in God, you're going to destroy the opportunity that God's given you to find joy, to find peace, to find happiness in this life and in the life eternal. You have focused on the wrong thing 
Remember Jesus said, I have this one thing against you. There's also, there's uh, in, in um, Revelation, when Jesus is looking at the churches, there's a church that does everything right, but nevertheless, I have this one thing against you. I think the one thing is always the one thing that the relationship with God is wrong. And for the rich young ruler, it was all of this performance without relationship. It was performance for relationship, not performance from relationship. And when you're performing for relationship, not from relationship, you can do all of the right things in the world, but never get into the place that he wants us to be operating from in our hearts. And when we have a heart that's bent on performance, we will reap what we sow in our relationships, and we will make others perform for our acceptance. And when we don't get the performance that we're looking for, even if we want to love them, we'll just make them feel bad for not performing up to the level of our own expectations. And it comes from getting the one thing wrong. So Jesus says he who hates the world or hates their life in this world, he doesn't say he, him who hates himself. Hating ourselves, hating others, and hating the world is not and has never been the goal. It's not love the sinner, hate yourself. It's not hate the sinner for his sin, but love him for everything else. It is placing your life, life in this world, focus on external things, focus on performance above your identity, above your relationship with God that's the problem. The Bible says in Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? We have always been his children. God has never looked at us as his enemies. What this verse is saying, while we were making an enemy out of God, not that God was making an enemy out of us, John 3.16, when you look at this in this context, it doesn't say, for God so hated the world, for God was so disappointed with the world, for God had so many things against the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to judge them. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. Everything that God does for us is from love. And if God loved you even when you were living like he was the enemy, you were lovable. Not for what you've done, but for who you are. So my message today is called Loveable. You are able to be loved. God looks at you as a child who he loves, not one that he's trying to get to fit into a box so that you can perform your way into salvation. When I came to Christ, performance was so ingrained in me. I was like the rich young ruler, always looking for something that I could do. And it came from a long history of disappointment and broken relationships, first with my father who represented God to me in a large way when I was a little kid. My father was very broken. He never had a real relationship with me. He abandoned me and would always use me as a pawn to try to get back at my mom. It set me up for a lot of things in life. And when I was... Uh, 
you know, that happened at age three, four, and five. And then at age five, I was molested by a boyfriend of my mom's. I had sexual abuse all through childhood. And I thought, gosh, you know, I've heard all of these other people that have had these things happen to them. And gosh, they're so messed up. I think I got off pretty well. What I realized later is that I had just suppressed all of those emotions, that they hadn't gone away. They had just resulted in me believing that I needed to perform in order to be loved. It could never just be me. I could never just bring myself to the party. I had to bring me plus my ability, me plus my stuff, me plus buying something for somebody, me plus doing things for other people. I was a people pleaser and I really believed that I needed to wear a mask of performance. I needed to wear a mask of success in order to be loved because I had a, a real feeling of worthlessness. I wasn't so self-aware that I believed, that I knew that I had like really profound self-hatred but if I look at my actions, I could see that that's what I was doing, always performing, always trying to do. And it wasn't like any of the things that I was doing were particularly bad. I was helpful. You know, a lot of people appreciated what I brought, but what I brought was a mask. And if you're performing behind a mask, even the best worn mask, even the best made mask will eventually warp and crack. And when you're performing for love, the mask will get all the love and you will get nothing. You can't even give love at that point. And the ones that have come in because of the mask, even if they didn't come for the mask, even if they really came for you, when the mask starts to warp and crack, they'll wonder why you had to feel like you, you needed to lie to them in order to get acceptance. And I want to bust you on people-pleasing, because I had to bust myself on people-pleasing, by the way. So I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here. I'm going to be the first one that stands up in line and says, yes, I've done this. But people-pleasing isn't actually pleasing to people. Not at its heart. By a show of hands, can I get a, a show of hands? Who loves being manipulated? Wow. Nobody. Shocking, right? You know, but that's exactly what people-pleasing is. If I am lying, trying to present myself as more than I know that I am in order to try to get something from you, that is like manipulation. Nobody loves to be lied to. Nobody loves to be manipulated. And that's exactly what happens when you go into people-pleasing. And what God's saying to the rich young ruler is you've built up this life for your, yourself in all of the external things. And this has been like a mask to you. I want you to, not, not because the results have been bad on the outside, but because of what they've kept you from on the inside. Lay down the mask. Don't just throw it away. It'll be valuable. The stuff that you've created will be valuable to somebody else but it's a chain to you. So I want you to give it away and then come follow me. You're going to have a life that's greater than the life that you ever thought you could create for yourself. It's gonna be so much more fulfilling and you're not going to not have stuff. God will bring that in, but he's going to bring it in in the right way. 
so that it actually can be something that's life-giving, not life-stealing. So I came into recovery when I was 16 years old, and I was willing to give up like 99% of my stuff because I knew it wasn't serving me. But just like the performance can be an idol, you can also make an idol of trauma and pain. And I'll tell you that whatever is controlling your life is what you're worshiping, whether it's bad or good. And if you want to know whether it's in a controlling position in your life or not, ask yourself, if God asked me to fully surrender this, would I be able to? And if immediately you think, gosh, I don't even know where to start, that's a good sign of where the position that you've given it in your life. And I had made an idol of not just the good things, but also the bad things in my life. The good things I wasn't worried about people finding out about, but I thought that if people knew some of the things that had happened to me and some of the things that I'd done, that I would be rejected. That I could give away 99%, but I'm just going to keep these things over here in the dark. And even to my mentor in recovery, like he asked me years later uh, after I had relapsed, gosh, you looked like you were doing everything right. It's always bothered me what happened. And I told him, you know, when I was doing this, this process, the process of recovery requires taking a really good, honest look at every area of your life. And I was willing to look at and to invite somebody else into most of it, but not all of it. And that little 1% that I was unwilling to invite others into kept me chained to all of it. I didn't get like partial freedom, I got no freedom because that one little bit that I wasn't willing to invite God and others into served as a chain to keep me in bondage. And he and I ended up meeting about 10 years afterwards, we went out to dinner and he just asked me that question. He's like, yeah, man, it, it really, you know, you were doing all of the things. You went to like seven meetings a week. You had all of these commitments. You did this inventory with me that was like the most honest, like soul bearing thing that I'd ever heard. And I was so shocked when I'd heard that you relapsed. What was it? And I told him there were three things that I had been unwilling to share. I didn't talk about the sexual abuse that I had experienced and participated in. The truth was that I blamed myself for the molestation and the sexual abuse because I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know how to have boundaries on my life at all because I was so starved for attention. I was so starved for praise that even when the bad things came, I didn't know how to say no. And so I condemned myself for years, feeling like I was to blame for all of that stuff. I couldn't put it on anybody else. I put it on myself. And at the end of the day, those were the things that I blamed myself for. And I was so unwilling because I was so scared to even look because of what they represented in my mind. And I shared that with him at dinner. And you know what he said to me? He said, I wish I'd known the same things happened to me. And somehow God had put the exact right person 
right in front of me, but I had so little faith that I was unwilling to receive what God had given me as an incredible gift. Like our stories lined up like almost like thing for thing. It was so wild. And at this dinner, I'm like, my mind is just being blown. I'm like, gosh, I could have saved myself like at least like five or six years and like several near-death experiences had I just (laughs) trusted. You know, so when I was looking at the Ten Commandments, I saw them in a way that I just hadn't before. That in, I'm looking at the rich young ruler, and, and I've heard so much bad preaching on this. I've heard all of these reasons why the rich young ruler was at fault, but the scripture is pretty clear that Jesus loved him. But there was just this one thing that he asked of him. We can become just as identified as the rich young ruler was with his stuff with the things that we're trying to hide. And one of the things that I'm, you know, there's, if you really get into the Bible and really read about the lives of the disciples and the apostles, it's amazing to see how human they actually are. I had this wrong idea of church, and I don't know if any of y'all are with me on this, but I had this like kind of belief that everybody that followed Jesus was somehow perfect. And a lot of them had accomplishments, but like Jesus picked the most human people to be his ambassadors on earth. When I first read Romans 7, how many of you have read Romans 7? It's it's a friggin' mess. Like I I read Romans 7 and I thought this is so, there's no way this could have been written 2,000 years ago. There's no way this could have been written by Paul. Because this guy's like reading Not just some of my mail, he's reading literally all of my mail. The enemy is always trying to isolate you. The enemy is always trying to tell you that you're broken in some special, unique way. And because you're broken in some special and unique way, you can never be fully healed. And if you look at the Bible and really get into it and spend time not just by yourself, but also in community, wrestle with the things that are hard, wrestle with God, bring them to wise counsel, to people that are willing to speak into your life. Instead of seeing something, then immediately taking it at face value and running away, use those things like I do to get in there and figure out what God has for you. Because I can guarantee you the things that tweak you are usually the things that he's trying to speak to you. And when you get the right, the right vision for what he's trying to do, man, it will unlock things that will set you free. So I read Romans 7, and Romans 7 in the message version is so powerful. In Romans 7, 13, Paul has done all of this stuff. And if you looked at Paul's life, he is like the perfect religious guy. He's at church every week. He's sitting up on the front row. He's doing all of the things but he's doing them with the wrong heart. He's persecuting Christians. He's bringing them up to be killed, and he thinks he's doing it in a way that's pleasing to God, that he's going through all of the religious performance based on a wrong belief system, and there's something in him that he can't shake. So looking at performance and then looking at sin, he's caught between these two worlds, and he says, does that mean that I can't even trust what is good, that is the law? Is good just as dangerous as evil? No, sin simply did what sin is so famous for doing, using the good as a cover to tempt me to do what would finally destroy me. 
by hiding within God's good commandments, sin did far more mischief than it could have ever accomplished on its own. I can anticipate the response that's coming. I know that all God's commandments are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things that I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious to me that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but then I really don't do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebels, and just when I least expect it, it takes charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does he acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. I tried to make sense of all of my failure, but my life was literally like what Paul's expressing. Like, I got sober from drugs and alcohol at 19 years old. God removed that from me in a moment on the floor of a Starbucks bathroom, but that was like the beginning that wasn't the finish line. It was like, I'm going to take these things that are literally killing you out of your life so we can finally deal with the inner healing. But I'm trying to hide all of the stuff that really needed to be healed from him, and I'm trying to figure it out on my own. Why do I keep going to this or to that or to the other thing? When I get my drinking and using under control, then I have an issue with sex and pornography. I get that under control, and then all of a sudden I have an eating disorder. I'm like not doing relationships right, so I try to do it differently, and I go into a gay lifestyle. I get that finally done with, and then I'm over here acting out in some other way. I keep going from one thing to another, and I'm looking for the reason that's behind it. Why do I keep going to these things? I could look at my childhood. I could look at my dad. I could look at the things that happened to me. I could look at the choices that I'd made, and I could try to blame all of those things, but the reality is there's something that's beneath that in my nature. Paul calls it sin, and it's something that every single human being on the face of the planet deals with since the fall. It's not like one thing or another, and you can look for all the trauma, and I'm not saying don't do that, process through it, all of that stuff, but at the end of the day, if I don't realize that there is something in my nature that is inescapable on my own power, I am going to constantly be playing this game where I'm blaming, where I'm running and performing, hoping if I can just get it all under control, then eventually my shoulders will drop, my skin will feel like it fits right. But that is a promise of the devil. That day never comes when you're trying to do it on your own. 
And that's the message. When I make a decision that I'm going to lay my life down, not just the pretty parts, not just the convenient parts, not just the parts that I understand, especially the parts that I don't, that's when I become bulletproof. You can't take something from somebody that's already freely given it. When I'm trying to hold on to my reputation, when I'm trying to hold on to the way that I look, when I'm trying to hold on to get a little bit more out of my performance, when I'm trying to hold on to an identity that's in anything less than being a child of God, I fall short. It's an empty promise. But when I willingly lay all of that down, there is nothing that anybody can take from me anymore. In Luke 17, it says, whoever who tries to keep his life will lose it, but whoever gives up his life will keep it. Are there, do I have any collectors in the room? Collectors of stuff, I, I, like, I'm like a sneakerhead, like I love shoes. And there have been things that I've tried to preserve. When I first started like getting into shoes, there was a pair of shoes that I bought in 2006. I bought the shoes and I bought the outfit that went with it from Adidas. And they were like shoes that sold out in like 10 minutes. They were like, they were very, very hard to get, but I kept them in the box from I think spring 2006 to probably about 2015. And then I decided I wanted to wear these shoes. I had an occasion to wear the whole outfit, shoes included, and I'm like, these are gonna be so sick, and I've held on to them for so long that everybody's gonna be like, dude, I've never seen those. Those are like mint. I put them on and I started walking, and the shoes experienced what's called soul rot. The, the things that made up the soles started falling apart and I was like Hansel and Gretel leaving a trail of breadcrumbs behind these six shoes that I've tried to hold onto and preserve. Everything in the world decays. Rubber falls apart, metal rusts and tarnishes, those towels that you've been keeping in the guest bathroom and telling people not to wipe their hands on will eventually become dusty and turn yellow whether you touch them or not. The same thing's true with our lives. When we try to hold on to our lives and try to preserve them on our own strength, we lose it. We never get to use this beautiful gift, this beautiful tool that God's given us to be able to run and jump and play in. When we get free, we give other people permission to do the same thing that this has been a journey that I've been walking out for the past 18 years. I haven't gotten it perfectly. I haven't been put in a place where I never am tempted to sin. There are still things in my life that are, I can choose to participate in or not to participate in. But I'll tell you that God has given me the strength to overcome so much and I'm not the same man that I was 20 years ago. I am a work in progress, 
but I look back 20 years ago, I look back 10 years ago, I look back five years ago, and I'm being, being grown from glory to glory to glory. There are things in my life that I know are so far in the past that I don't worry about them tripping me up, but it's like the little things, like the offense that I got this morning where it's like I have the choice. I have the choice to either engage with the offense or I have the choice to know that every single opportunity I have to be offended is an opportunity to strengthen a relationship. I can go one of two ways. So there is a promise that when you give yourself fully to God, you'll be able to stand. In James 4, 7, and 8, it says, so give yourself completely to God, stand against the devil, and the devil will run from you. I will never become holy trying to condemn the sin of others or trying to condemn my own sin. Freedom for me started when I came to acknowledge that while I was in sin, I wasn't doing my very worst, but sometimes I was doing my very best. I was just trying to live life and to eke out a good enough existence on my own strength without God. Does that make sense? On my own, I continually got into this position where I'm trying to manage. When I finally surrendered my life completely to God, that's when things started to change. They didn't change overnight. There were things that happened up at an altar that were taken away, like my drug addiction was taken away in a moment, but there was still a lot of stuff that I needed to come for healing. This isn't like a one and done thing. Come to church, raise your hand, come forward, and then all of a sudden you're like beaming light out of your hands, walking on water and like floating on air with the wings of angels. That's not how it works, that this is a lifestyle that's meant to be done in relationship with God and in relationship with people. Remember that thing that, uh, that he had against the rich young ruler the way that they split up the commandments, the first four relationship with self and with God, and the last six in relationship with community. If I don't have a relationship with God, I can't get a relationship with myself, and if I don't have a relationship with both, I'm never going to be able to get it right in community. But it's not like I focus on one, it's like all of them have to happen at the same time. And it doesn't make sense, it can seem really overwhelming, the first one I need to, needed to get right was my relationship with God. But once that decision was made, I started to have to work it out with myself and with people in community. And that's the beauty of this, that it's not perfect. It can be a little bit messy, but if you're trying to keep it clean, you're probably going to keep yourself in bondage until you let it get a little bit messy. You with me on that? So there are three things that I've found that have really helped. And I'll just tell you really quickly, this, uh, this past m Monday, I was at San Marcos campus at our recovery meeting. And I spoke up there and God had been showing me some of this. So I spoke a little bit about what I spoke to you about this morning while I was up there. And after the meeting, there was a, a young man that came up to me and very earnestly, he looked me right in the eyes and he said, what do I have to do to stop hating myself? How, 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 how do you not hate yourself? And I thought, oh my gosh, what courage. And then I thought how beautiful that God had spoken to him in a way that he had enough hope to ask that question. Because most of us, if we don't have the hope that there is an answer, 
to a hard question, we won't ask the hard question. Because asking the hard question and then not getting an answer is more painful than not asking the question at all. But he asked that question and immediately God showed me three things. And I'm gonna share those three things with you. And I'll tell you, this is like a blueprint for how I overcame all of those things. Because I, I promise you that in my life, that my life is so different than it was before I knew God that I didn't know how to truly connect with others. I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to receive love, but I get to do both of those things today. My mind would just be racing when my head would hit the pillow and I would stay up for hours at night worrying about things that I couldn't quite put my finger on. My entire life was run like that. And today, when I go home, I can't wait to see my wife and my kids. They're like the love for, I, that I have for them, I couldn't even put into to words. Like there are things that I'm able to experience that I just thought were impossible. I thought it was like the, the, like the, the lie of like Disney movies and rom-coms that it was like, that would, I mean, I see how that could happen theoretically, but I don't think it'll ever happen to me. And like, that's the life that I get to live today. When I go to bed, my head hits the pillow, I fall asleep, I live a life where I don't have to have secrets anymore. You know, I've been pretty vulnerable to you guys on the stage this morning and nobody's thrown a tomato yet, you know? Like, what I've found is that when I'm, when I'm able to tell the truth about what, the real truth about my life, but also share the breakthrough that God has made, it has never pushed me away from people it's just been this beautiful invitation to bring people closer. It's making a decision to take off the mask and even when it gets uncomfortable to not put it back on. That's the only way into real relationship with God and people. And I can tell you from one that's been like working this out, not perfectly, but progressing over the past 18 years that it gets really, really good. So these three things that I'm going to give you, they are simple, but they're not easy. The first one is that you have to forgive others. In Matthew 6:15 it says, "If you do not forgive others their sin, neither will your father your heavenly father forgive your sin." It is it, it it's not a condemnation. It's just because God is true to his principles. God can't violate his word and everything in his kingdom operates on principles and one of the biggest principles that I see in everything is the law of sowing and reaping. You cannot reap what you don't sow, and what you sow, you will also reap. If you don't forgive others, you can't sow forgiveness for yourself. God has an unlimited amount of forgiveness for you, but you won't be able to receive it. You'll become like Teflon. It'll come towards you and fall right off because you've been sowing unforgiveness. The second thing is you need to clean up your mistakes. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, if you come to the altar and bring a gift to God, but remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift up at the altar and then go take care of what your brother has against you and then come back and present your gift. It's tough, I know. I've been very badly harmed by people. There were situations that were like 95% somebody else's fault. I didn't have to worry about their 95%. When I got my relationship right with God, I could be like, God, listen, I don't understand it, but I'm gonna trust you. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I am not going to try to redeem myself. I am not going to try to 
execute my own vengeance. I'm just gonna trust you with it, but I'm gonna clean up 100% of my 5%. I'm gonna leave the rest to you, but I'm gonna clean up 100% of my 5%. And then the last thing is go towards the good. It says in Ephesians 4 that we're not just putting off the old man that's grown corrupt in his ways, but we're putting on new life in Christ. I don't know how many of you have played sports like soccer, football, basketball, but I'm gonna tell you that you cannot win a game with only a good defense. Even the best defense eventually will get tired. And if you don't have offense, you're never gonna take ground, you're never gonna score goals, and eventually the other team with the good offense will wear you down so they score against you. And meanwhile, you will have the lamest life because it sucks living a life like this where you're constantly backing yourself up into a corner. To live in an offensive posture where you're just, you know, like, I hate sin, I'm against sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin. It's like whatever you focus on is exactly what you're going to end up with, which is like what Paul's talking about. When I tried to stay away from the bad thing, that's exactly what I did. But I found that with God, I can start to go towards the good. Every sin habit, every compulsive behavior that was destructive that I've ever fallen into was an illegitimate solution to a legitimate problem. When I saw what the legitimate problem was and with God started going for a real solution that would lead to life, all of that other stuff, man, it wasn't even like, it, I like wasn't focused on it at all. It's like, gosh, I don't know why I kept making such a big deal about that because I've found the thing that's good. If you've been going for the thing that's counterfeit, the counterfeit thing is so lame to the, compared to the thing that's authentic. So there's probably some of you that if I was presented like with something like this when I was younger, I would have looked up at this list and be like, pastor, I get it, but I feel like the rich young ruler. I don't know how to give any of that stuff up. I get it in theory, but just when I'm thinking about practicing it, it seems so impossible. I wanna tell you, you're right. On your own, all of this stuff will be impossible. You can turn all of these things into performance and still keep your heart far from God. But that's exactly why I'm up here today is to pull the band-aid, expose some of the darkness in that I've experienced in my own life, hoping that it connects a little bit with you and to tell you that there is a better way that when you start to actually trust God, and it doesn't matter whether you've been in church your entire life or you're brand new to church, that you can trust God in this way, but you can't do it on your own. Just like you can't love God on your own, you can't love yourself on your own, and you can't love others on your own. They have to work together, but the power has to come from God. So can I get everybody to bow their head and close their eyes? If you feel connected to that this morning, if you know you've been like the rich young ruler trying to do all the things, but be feeling stuck and unable to let go, in a moment, I wanna pray for you. Or if you're like I was and have made an idol out of your pain, your shame, and your hurt, and you've seen others get free and find joy, but you don't know how to yourself, that's okay. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to be willing to ask God in. Or maybe you just know that you're far from God and this morning you felt some hope and you know that you need to stop treating God like an enemy and accept him like a father. 
On the count of three, I'm gonna ask you, if you fall into any of those groups, I want you to raise your hand so I can include you in a prayer. One, two, three. Is there anybody like that in here? God bless you, 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 God bless you in the back, God bless you in the middle, God bless you down front, God bless you over on the side, God bless you. God bless you. So beautiful. Can I get everybody to stand? You made the courageous first move of raising your hand up, but I wanna ask you to make a courageous second move and come down to the front so I can pray with you, so I can shake your hand, so I can include you. But you gotta, you gotta know if you've been keeping things in the dark, you can't keep them in the dark. What stays in the dark grows in the dark. I wanna invite you to come down to the altar right now. So beautiful. Hey. says that when we make this decision, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The enemy will always try to isolate us and make us think that we're alone. So I want all of you to repeat this prayer after me, whether you're praying it for the first time or the thousandth time, but after me, Father God, I thank you that you so loved me. You sent your only son, Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission to save me. Father God, I know that I'm committing my life to a lifestyle. This isn't just a moment. This is me saying yes to you and to community. Father God, surround me with your people. Give me courage to be open and to receive all that you have for me. And God, let your light burn brightly in me so that as you change me, I'll be a beacon of hope to a lost and dying world. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.